Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Mo'adin and Simcha. The uh, Torah portion for this morning begins, well, it contains within it a profoundly Jewish moment in it. And that is in the face of the heartache of what appears to be Moses' own moral failure. He famously asks God, Harini na'et kavodecha. Show me what you are, God says. Moses says to God. And in this sense, what makes it so uniquely Jewish, such an important part of the fabric of who we are and the stories that we tell about ourselves, is the idea that we always try to figure out what a moment means. And this moment certainly is no different. I can share with you from my own experiences a few stories. Last month I was in Israel. I was supposed to be there for two months for the breath of my um, sabbatical. And within five or six days of getting to Israel, roughly about March 10th or 11th, already the pace of what was going to happen started. And as is so often the case, we don't really get a sense of the total scope of something because things happen very slowly, or if not slowly, at least step by step, and we become a little desensitized to the big picture of what's happening. In hindsight, it all seems clear, but at the time, it wasn't. So we arrive in Israel, and then within a few days of getting there, they start telling that anybody who arrives in the country has to go in for quarantine for 14 days. And that was going to start roughly a few days after they made the announcement. And then what began to happen was, after that, that Israel banned all foreign flights from entering into Israel. And that any, only Israelis would be permitted to come into the country. Those who were citizens, nobody else would be allowed. And the Israelis themselves who came into the country, that they would have to go into a mandatory 14-day quarantine period. And then after that, all the malls closed. And the movie theaters closed. And then after that, the beaches closed. And then after that, they started pulling back on all the public transportation. And then it was hard to get a cab. And then after that, people started walking very carefully on sidewalks because you didn't want to pass by anybody. So you'd have that awkward look where you would look at the person approaching you and then you would step down to the side. Finally, we, re we realized that the country was going into a complete shutdown and that all the flights were disappearing and that if we were going to get back to Toronto, we would have to leave as soon as possible, which we did. Now, arriving in Toronto, we ended up pretty much being in the same situation. We came here and we then entered into a 14-day mandatory quarantine period. My quarantine ended just yesterday morning. I got dressed and I put my suit on and a tie, something I hadn't done for, well, for a number of weeks. I came out and I walked the shul to a street that was quiet. And Eglinton Avenue was quiet. Much like Tel Aviv, my apartment wasn't far from Bogreshov and Ben Yehuda, which is the heart of the city. And on a normal day, you'd have to look left and right and carefully negotiate to cross over the street. But over those past weeks in Tel Aviv, Lisa and I simply walked across the street because there were no cars. This morning, yesterday morning, crossing over Eglinton Avenue, it was the same thing. And I walked outside of my home realizing that in some respects I had sat 14 days 
almost like a double shiver. And I had my Aufstein, I had my getting up. And much like in the context of the shiva, when people would get up and walk outside, even today in very traditional Jewish communities, over the course of the shiva, people don't leave their home. In fact, in some communities, they come to the shiva house and do the Shabbat services in the shiva house so the mourners do not have to leave. So the first time that the shiva is over and the people leave their home, the sense that you're moving back into the world is an odd and important feeling. Except for me, I didn't have that. Because when I went back into the world, and when I walked out of my house, everybody was still doing the same thing. They were locked in their homes. The other day I read, a, a, I read an article, a beautiful article by David Brooks. And it wasn't much of his writing. What he had simply done is that over the past few weeks, he had been asking readers to send him emails, letters, of what they're experiencing over this course of quarantine and the pandemic that is gripping not just our city and not just our country, but the world. And the other day, Brooks compiled and edited just a handful of these emails that came his way. If you have a chance, I want you to go on and read it. They're hard to read. Outlining of people who not only suffer the financial catastrophe that this moment is bringing them, but also deep-seated emotional catastrophes where people feel deeply alone and people are frightened and people are overcome by great depressions and anxieties because one of the great things that are holding us now is, is that we don't know when this is going to end. In fact, as the projections continue to roll out for us, all that we know is that there's going to be far more of this than we actually know in the moment because nobody can actually tell us when this will come to an end. So let me share something with you personally. Personally, I too have gotten caught up in the cycle of news. CP24 on the TV set all the time. CNN all the time with COVID-19. When I was in Israel, we were glued to the TV sets every night, wondering when they would come to the first 10 COVID cases. And everyone held their breath. We have 10 now. And then when the news said that there were 100 diagnosed COVID cases, and everyone held their breath, oh my God, we hit 100. And then everyone held their breath when there was the first death. And then everyone said, oh my God, someone died. And then you read in New York that, they, they, that they've dug mass graves on Hart Island and they're burying people there. And then personally for myself, when I heard the story that Boris Johnson was brought into the hospital, the Prime Minister of England, when he was brought into the hospital after showing signs and symptoms for 10 days of having COVID, and then he was brought into the ICU and then I said to myself, well, he's 55 years old and I'm 53. And then as fate would have it, it's allergy season. And I started developing my allergy signs. 
and I began to confuse whether or not this was my allergies or if this in fact maybe were symptoms of COVID because I had flown from Israel and I had went into an airport and then I was in a plane and then I went into another airport and then I came home and I said, well, maybe if I touched my suitcase or I touched the rail and hadn't washed my hands. And then all of us wonder, do I wash my hands enough? Did I touch my face? If I bring the mail out from my mailbox, do I have to sanitize it? If I get a shipment from Amazon, how long do I have to leave the box before I can touch it? Or can I touch it? Or how long do I wash my hands for? We're all in the grip of this. And it's a horrible way to live. But this is what we have. We're almost like, in some respects, the story about Lot's wife after they run out of Sodom. We know that Lot's wife turns to a pillar of salt. And the ancient rabbis say the reason why she turned to a pillar of salt is because as the city was being destroyed and Lot and his family were running away out of the city for survival, Lot's wife, the Torah tells us, looked back at the city. She got frozen. She looked back and she couldn't run to where she needed to go. And we feel also frozen in this moment. There's a story told in the Brothers Grimm. When I was a kid, I used to read these stories about a young boy who could feel no fear. And so he decided that he was going to teach himself how to be afraid. What he did was that he left his home and he went on a tremendous adventure, looking for danger wherever he could find it. That he would slay dragons and confront demons and witches. He would hang off a cliffs and climb the highest trees anything he could, could do to feel danger and anger. And he never felt it. And then he came to a ominous castle, and there was a spell, a demonic spell on it. And he approached it and got rid of the spell. And the king was so filled with gratitude that he had gotten rid of this demonic spell that had gripped his castle. The king offered this young man his daughter in marriage as an act of gratitude. The wedding is held, and on their wedding night, the Brothers Grimm's tells us that before they're about to go to sleep for the night, that his wife, his new wife, the princess, rips off the covers of the bed, and she has a bucket filled with freezing cold water and fish, and she throws it at him. And the young boy, the young man, excuse me, screams, and he shudders, and he turns to his wife and says, thank you felt it. Brutal Bettelheim, later on, in his uses of enchantment, uses the story to explain a very important idea to us. Bettelheim uses this to explain to us that the only way that we ever become adults in this world is by feeling pain, is by being afraid. This young man who went off looking for danger, in fact, was looking to find a way for him to grow into the person that he was meant to be. And I think of this moment as true for us too. This moment is painful, it is difficult. It is breaking and separating families. It is ruining lives and careers. The financial history and stability of so many people, I don't have to tell you, you read the news too, is all there in danger. And yet we also know that in our tradition, something remarkable is told about us you know, I, over the course of nearly 
20, almost 30 years of being a rabbi, actually, I've been approached by people asking me for blessings of all kinds. People have asked me for a blessing over their young child, blessings for wedding couples and bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, blessings of all kinds. But nobody has ever come to me and said, give me a new name. But in our tradition, we are told that Jacob, after his night of wrestling with the angel, that the one thing that Jacob wants, the blessing Jacob wants, is to know his name. And the angel gives Jacob a blessing of a new name. He is told that his name is Israel. Now, of all the blessings that people have asked me for, I've never given someone a blessing of calling them Frank or a new name. But the name Israel means for us that we know that we will face pain in life. But like Jacob, we can transform that pain and grow from it. It is the gift of understanding that no matter how difficult our moments are, we can grow in them and then beyond them. It is understanding that yes, there are things that can break people, but we have the gift of understanding that they can break us open to. Shabbat Shalom.